We welcome you again to Weston Park Baptist Church, to our virtual services as we get into the fall. Um, lots going on, kids back in school. Uh, trust that you, amidst all of the change and busyness, you have a sense of God's presence with you. To help us in this way, we are looking at the Beatitudes, and we started these last week, and we spoke of the Beatitudes as the essence, the core values of Christ's teaching, core values of the kingdom of God. And so, of course, the Beatitudes are the front piece for uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. He begins with this series of eight Beatitudes that are blessings that speak about how Jesus sees the world. So we're talking about this series as the upside-down world of Jesus, the upside-down world of Jesus, because his values seem to be so different from the way generally our world works. And there's a word, enculturate, um, which is used in cultural studies and theology, and it makes the point that um, we are impacted by our society. So whatever values that our society has going on, they become a part of how we think. It's part of this enculturation process. And so if our society is over the top in some area, it, that has a big impact on us, and we, we need to be aware of these things so that we can if you like, make our own decisions. So we need to hear Christ's values so that we can be aware of them as we live in this society, which often has other values. So the Beatitudes then as the frontispiece for Christ's teaching. Last week we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. That was the first Beatitude. Extremely important shapes, really, all the rest that come. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And we saw that the blessings or the Beatitudes fall into three parts. There's the first part, which is the opening phrase, blessed. What does that mean? Then there's secondly a target group, last week the poor in spirit. And then there's a reward um, they will inherit the kingdom of God. So that three-part structure of the Beatitudes follows for all of them. So today we look at the second Beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, Matthew 5, 4. And again, it falls into these three parts. So thinking then of, of the Beatitudes of speaking to us in terms of the essence of Christ's teaching. If you want to know about Jesus, if you want to know about what being a follower of Christ is all about, then we need to hear these because this is where Christ is at. So we carry on then, the second beatitude. So blessed is Makarios, I mentioned. Happy are, be encouraged, how fortunate you are, to be envied. The, the, all of these are nuances of that Greek word makarios. Be encouraged. Jesus is saying, right off the top, be encouraged. Life is hard. Life is a challenge, but be encouraged, Jesus says. Fortunate you are. Why? Well, because you know God. You're in relationship with him. 
And so the root word for makarios is actually to, to make large, to enlarge, to lengthen, to, to give you more space. Makarios. Give you more room to move around in. That, that's the idea. God is there for you. He, he's watching over you. He protects you. Provides for you, Jehovah Jireh. And so, you know, we think of the image of Boaz sleeping at night and he's covered with a blanket and Ruth, who needs protection, comes and lays down at his feet. And, and Boaz eventually notices that this woman is at his feet and he covers her with his blanket. And that was a symbol of God uh, covering us and Boaz taking care of Ruth and Naomi. So God, as the great God, the universe maker, the creator, our redeemer, he is there for us. He knows our name. He knows your situation. Blessed are you. Be encouraged. And so that's how all the Beatitudes start. They start with blessing. And of course, we don't always feel blessed subjectively. We don't always feel that. Feelings go up and down every day by all kinds of stuff going on. But God sees us as blessed. Christ sees us as blessed. And so Jesus is saying, those who are really seeking the kingdom of God, you are blessed. So we need to hang on to that in in light of our challenging days. COVID still here with us a year and a half later. Numbers are going up. It's still unclear how our society is going, where things are going and moving. Some want to get vaccinated, some don't. It just, it, it's, it's, it's a crazy time. And so it's easy for us to just feel somewhat chaotic and upset, turbulent. And can we, in the midst of all that, experience God's blessing? Well, the Beatitudes, all eight of them, begin with this word, makarios. You are blessed. God knows your name. He cares for you. He cares for me. Always the good news. Jesus for us. Our creator for us. Need to hang on to that. So that's the first part of the Beatitude. The second part is the target group. And the target group here is a bit surprising. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Here, following that, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what, what, what is that about? How do we understand that? Well, on one level, blessed are those who mourn. Mourns talks about regret. Looking back on our lives with a little bit of regret, I remember talking to my dad when he was in the hospice at the very end, and I'm asking him, Dad, what are you thinking about? These are the last few days of his life. And he says to me, regret. Wow. I was kind of stunned by that comment, actually. A couple days left in your life, and you're thinking of regret. Well, there's some of that in mourn, to feel regret, to lament to grieve. I know some of you in our church community right now are going through particularly hard times, the loss of relatives, loss of family. 
And of course, with that, there's grief. With that, there's mourning. So mourning is part of life. Around the planet, 50 million people die every, uh, every year, 50 million. A lot of grief, a lot of mourning. And so in your mourning, we want to look to Jesus, who is the one who comforts us. We'll see more of that. So mourning certainly talks about us in our day-to-day challenges of grief. But I would suggest the real focus of this is more in the sense of us mourning our own brokenness, mourning our own frailty, mourning our own sinfulness, if we use that theological word. Brokenness, frailty, sinfulness, where we've messed up. It's interesting, the American psychiatrist Carl Menninger wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Sin. He, you know, he founded the Menninger, Menninger Clinic at Harvard. And he, this book is, is like, hey, man, don't, don't, don't lose sense of that word. It's an important word, and, and we need to hold on to it because it speaks to our reality. Whatever happened to sin? <laughs> Meaning we just can't dispel that idea. We can't, it doesn't help us to think that, 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 you know, that that's not true, to make light of sin. He's saying, no, this is actually important. It's part of our frailty. We do actually make bad decisions. We do actually mess up. It's important for us to recognize that, to be honest about that. So mourning is regret over actions that, you know, we now know are not, we're not the best choices. We're hurtful. To feel the weight, this is what Jesus is going at, to feel the weight of our own brokenness, not to belittle it, not to simply shrug our shoulders, not to just try to pass it on to somebody else, it wasn't my fault, I'm a victim, not to go that way, to recognize, hey, I have made decisions that have not been healthy, have not been good for others, I have hurt people. It's important for us, Jesus is saying, to know that. Blessed are those who mourn. Because recognizing that is actually maybe the first step towards bringing healing. Not to try to avoid it, but to look it in the face and to name it. It's good for us to be able to say that, because it's true, it's realistic. I like what Edward Farrell says, one of our deepest experiences of God arises from our need to be healed. Note, from the experience of our own sinfulness, of our forgetfulness, of our selfishness. It is out of this cry to God, out of the depths, as the psalmists say, the depths of our own self-awareness and our own self-knowledge of sin that we cry to be healed. So mourning is, a, is becoming aware of ourselves. It's, it's not forgetting who we are. It's, it's seeing it, owning it. Of course, David does that in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. 
According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, he says. He's not pretending that he hasn't sinned. He's made bad choices. People have been hurt. In his case, a person has died. So to look at that, to face it, to be honest. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, that first piece is to... We all experience hurt and pain in our world. And secondly, we also are broken make choices that are not healthy, we sin. Goes on, David says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, this is what David is saying. So there's mourning over our own brokenness, but on a second level, there's, there's collective mourning. There, there's, there's mourning that is appropriate for us as a group or for the group, or even for our world. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he mourns over Jerusalem. Those who will not turn to God. Ezra in the Old Testament laments over the waywardness of Israel. He, he laments. We hear it in Ezra 10.1. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God. A very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. The people also wept bitterly. This is mourning collectively. So we mourn for ourselves, and we also can mourn and should mourn for the the greater community. Western Park Baptist Church, you know, it's a hundred and how many years now? Ten, twenty years, you know the math. Well, we have not always done things well, have we? Individually, we've, we've, we've not always done things well. So there's a, there's a place for mourning to recognize our own brokenness, even as a community. Place for that. Ezra, mourning over Israel. And certainly, there's mourning over the wickedness of the world. There, there's mourning for the evil in our world, the war. The ravages on our planet through pollution and so on, the abuse of children, greed, avarice, injustice, oppression of peoples. This is, this is all happening in our world, and as believers we see that and, and we're called to mourn over this. We are part of humanity, and humanity as a whole makes bad choices. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, we're recognizing this bigger piece of mourning to lament over our broken world. And interesting, the church over its history has, has recognized this and suggested some approaches to it. I'll just mention three here in passing. Prayers of lament. So we think of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah laments over the people, laments over the choices of Israel, laments over giving up Jehovah for, for Baal and other gods. So there's prayers of lament. So there are, there, there's a place for us to be lamenting in our prayers. Secondly, fasting. The book of Esther shows the import of fasting. I know a number of you fast through the week, every week. And, and fasting 
is often linked with these prayers of lament. It's, it's a demonstration of our sincerity. It's, it helps us to feel the momentous weight of this reality. So there, there's a place for that, biblical place. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, do it this way. Recognizes it. And then thirdly, almsgiving. Churches recognize that. Being generous with our resources for others. Trying to make a difference. Zacchaeus, when he repents, what does he do? He, he immediately is very generous and gives out of his wealth to make it right with others and in doing so in a generous way, not, not in a, a way that is just bits and pieces. So prayers of lament, fasting, almsgiving, this is all being connected, connected to mourning, lamenting in a collective way. So communal lamentation, that's part of this issue of blessed are those who mourn. And in our own day, when we have a, you know, a lot of language and discussion about the reconciliation endeavor of, uh, in the important part in the reality of reconciliation, that, that, that speaks to this issue of mourning, mourning on a collective level. So the idea of mourning and in this beatitude, is it's important to recognize, to recognize where we have messed up, not just individually, but systemically as a society. Canadians, where have we messed up in our history? So we think of the whole reality around residential schools and our indigenous population. It, you know, like that was a crazy choice. Ah. In what world does that make sense, that you take children from families, take them away from their families, place them in a school so you can, you know, get them going in this way? Like, it, it, it's, you know, craziness. Bureaucratic decision-making that negatively impacts a lot of people. And so part of reconciliation is recognizing where we have messed up. And it's, it's needed. And, and we need to do our part within that, with, in whatever oppression of peoples. Important for us, according to Jesus, in terms of this beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, because this is all part of mourning. Will we carry on in that way? So the target group then is, blessed are those who mourn. All of us are caught up in that at some level. And then thirdly, there's a blessing, and the blessing is that they will be comforted. Important. And the word for comfort here is related to the word paraclete. Paraclete is the name for the Holy Spirit. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So it speaks of God's comfort. It speaks of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, coming and comforting us. Jesus says, when I go, another one will come, and the paraclete will be that one, and he will comfort you. I'm going, but he will come, he says to the disciples. So we will be comforted. We will be comforted by the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. We will be comforted by Jesus. Comforted by Abba. The triune God is there to comfort us in our hurt. So if you are grieving over loss right now, our ultimate comfort comes from our triune God particularly the Holy Spirit and Jesus there for us. 
Jesus says in another place, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is comfort. I will give you rest. I will be there for you. And the Old Testament antecedent for all of this is Isaiah 61. So as I read 1 to 3, just note the word mourning as it comes up. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. These are, Jesus quotes these for himself. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners who mourn to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. We've said before in Luke chapter 4 in Jesus' first sermon, he cites this text. So where does Jesus get the idea in his own education? Where does he get this idea of blessed are those who mourn? Well, he's totally familiar with the book of Isaiah. He's totally familiar with the Psalms. And this text tells us that those who mourn will be comforted. Instead of a garland of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Jesus is picking up on that. And he says, yes, it is good for us to mourn. It is good for us to mourn our own brokenness. It is good for us to mourn collectively because ultimately we will know God's comfort. So Jesus isn't just pulling this out of a hat. He's not just making this up on the fly. Jesus knows that this recognizes the truth of the scriptures that he has come to reveal. The point of it is that the God of justice is not asleep. He will make things right, which allows us hope. And Luke, Simeon, takes up Jesus, the babe, in his arms, and he talks about waiting for the consolation of Israel. This was the one. He was waiting for the Messiah in hope. And so when we mourn, we mourn in hope. We go forward in hope. Carl Menninger, who we spoke of, writes, Hope is an adventure, a going forward, a confident search for a rewarding life. We live with hope. It's important for us to have hope. In spite of our mourning. Why? Because we will be comforted. So in Jesus' worldview, he wants us to recognize, hey, this is the weight of our world. But at the same time, we, we, we feel it and we experience, experience it in the reality of hope and consolation. So that's the beatitude. That's the second beatitude. A few words of application. One, there is a danger that we can be participating in evil when, when, even when we don't think we are. That is, we can be participating in systemic evil, in, sta- in s- systemic damage to others and to our world, even while we live our lives and not sure what the heck's going on really. A need to be self-aware, to be honest with our attitudes. 
For example, even, even in our investments, right? We can talk about the abuse of the world and the issue of pollution. Yes, that's, that's all staring us in our face, in our face, climate change. But, you know, in our own economics, we can be maybe benefiting from the same products that create problems. So how do we participate systemically when maybe we should be making other choices. So we, we just need to be aware of that, how we use our money, our purchases, our investments, all of us. Secondly, we note that there is a place for sadness and weeping. We are not to go around just glibly, you know, with a perpetual grin. There is a place for sadness. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. So as Protestants of the Reformation, you know. We are not to so emphasize grace that we just forget about sin to the point where the word is never even used anymore. Not healthy. There's a place for brokenness, a place for weeping. At the same time, and this is very important, I think, is that we, in our mourning, we actually begin the process of healing and of blessing. Right in it. Right in the moment when we mourn. Right in the moment when we grieve. And, and, and all we feel is that grief. At a deeper level, at a deeper level, subterranean level, things are already changing and blessing comes out of that. That reality, blessed are those who mourn. It's not saying in the future. Blessed are those who mourn. Even in the now in the pain, seeds of blessing start coming forward. Ways in which maybe you can come alongside others who are also hurting. Making steps and choices in your day now and in the future that bring healing. So blessed are those who mourn even in the now because in the now there is healing. if we look inside, that inscape we talked about, that inscape, know God's healing here and now. It already engages new patterns of generative life. That's, that's the idea. We cut back a plant. I'm sure that hurts the plant. But we know in the cutting back, the plant goes forward in a healthier way. It's the same for us. And then finally, in our morning. Ultimately, Christ is the one who comes and comforts us. He gives us his peace. In our mourning, our grief, the ashes of mourning are turned over. And there's an oil of gladness, happiness, and peace. Prophets talked about a bomb of Gilead. There is a bomb in Gilead. Reference to Christ. There is a bomb, a healing ointment in Gilead that is for you and for me. Ultimately, peace. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I will give you my peace. Here and now I will give you peace. Peace because there's this larger picture, this larger reality, creator, redeemer, 
triune God for us in the midst of the pains and challenges of life. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you here and now. So we're invited to receive. Invited to receive Christ's peace even in the midst of our hurt. To meet with him every day. To receive his love, his grace, his mercy, his peace. So I pray for you right now that indeed you might experience his peace, his presence with you, even in the midst of your mourning. May we hear Christ's beatitude, his words to us. In Jesus' name, amen.